they have to be able to speak on terms of business KPIs and other technical KPIs. And that is the big gap. So even if people who administer a system, they are looking for KPIs they're asked to look at, which is fine, but I need to translate what does it actually mean for the business side. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. My guest in today's episode was first introduced to me as the godmother of sales enablement. Is it because she's one of Europe's leading sales enablement consultants? Or maybe because she's a best-selling author of a book called Sales Enablement and a strategic advisor to one of the leading sales enablement software platforms in the world. One thing is for sure, in the sales enablement world, she's a household name. Please welcome Tamara Schenk. Tamara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> So Tamara, I think there will be only a few people in the sales enablement space who don't know who you are. You've been around quite a lot. Your content is everywhere, including your book called Fittingly Sales Enablement, which I'm a big fan of. But for those people who don't know you, what's your background and what do you do now? Yeah, so my background is quite interesting. It's economics and IT. I started off with having my own company with my partner at this time. So we did just-in-time software you know, the whole thing, selling, marketing, implementation, <laughs> delivery, and all these things. And then I got a few years later into IT consulting and then in more strategy consulting. And this is when I was focused on a lot of post-merger integrations and how to bring especially sales teams together. And this brought me then into Deutsche Telekom as a group in 2008. So I first had... Um, a strategy implementation role and in a more headquarter position. And then I was finally back in sales and I led a team that was focused on a specific industry. So it was focused on utilities. So we wanted to provide IT services for utility companies, but we started out and it's a way back. So it was the time when these companies were definitely waiting for the state for the government to basically pay the bills for every change they should undertake. And it was quite interesting. And then I was asked to co-lead the restructuring of the Salesforce. And when we've done that, so I see wishfully the company moved out a couple of people and increased the quota for the remaining Salesforce. And I started asking, okay, so how do we help them actually to achieve the higher goals? And then a friend of mine said to me, you should go into the thing called sales enablement. This was 2009. And there wasn't a lot about sales enablement. There was basically Savo in the US and Bisphere in Europe, and the latter is no longer existing anymore. So what I found is, and at this time, it was basically about get your content chaos organized, and this is sales enablement, and you need a bit of technology, and you're fine. So that was my thinking then in 2009, and then we started investigating that, and luckily I found a senior executive sponsor. So he had to organize the big, big, big T-Systems portfolio at this time to restructure it, bring it down to, to the basic domain clusters, and he needed a system to communicate all the product management, the product marketing, and marketing content. And what I found is we had 35 different places where the Salesforce worldwide could find content on. And then the most interesting thing is that the best salespeople 
they weren't even aware of all these sources. Mm, wow. So that showed a big, big gap. So I was focused on getting this fixed, so to say. And then long story short, we implemented one source of truth platform globally. We organized the content. And then you actually get into sales enablement. So that was then a, a longer journey. And you figure out, okay, we've restructured this. We have it all in one place, but do we make a big difference when it comes to the sales pipeline? No. So then you start looking at, okay, maybe we shouldn't take the content as a black box. We should look into it. And then we say, okay, it's actually too much product focus. It's too much feature and function. It's not really connected to specific bio roles, challenges, bio journey phases, and so on. So we did that during the next year and worked a lot on the quality of content, also how to present it along the buyer's journey for specific buyer roles. And then I worked a lot with Forrester at this time. They helped me to put together a more strategic approach because I've seen, okay, training is disconnected. We don't coach salespeople the right way. The sales process is elsewhere. This is, these are all piece parts that are not connected. And so I worked on a more strategic approach. And again, luckily, sometime later, and you senior exec joined a company leading global sales ops. And he was very interested in that concept. So I could implement that for next year. That was until 2013. The final bit on this was to implement a sales coaching program for sales managers. Mm. Actually, the hardest thing to do, that's a difficult audience to work with from an enablement role, but really made a big difference when all these different things are then orchestrated the right way. They're all connected and all comes together. And then we've really seen impact in the pipeline. So then the next six years, I was research director at CSO Insights, uh, Miller Hyman, it's now called Ferry. And since last year, I'm enjoying my professional symphony. So I co-founded Bartlett Jenk with Lee Bartlett. That's our company based in the UK. I have a strategic advisor role at Showpad, and I also focus on my energy clearing work. It all comes together to what really is my mission to empower human potential. That's awesome. I think it's really interesting that your sales enablement journey started out by focusing on technology and content. Typically, when you hear about people's or organizations' journey in sales enablement, it typically starts with training and coaching. So I think it's quite interesting that you guys had that starting point. It's interesting. It really, there are these two entry points, and I think it's probably 50-50. It depends a bit on what the background also of the roles is then you're talking to. So there is this, the one stream from a marketing product management perspective, we have to get organized this, then you start in that area. The problem is you're probably disconnected from sales. The other problem is, hey, we have a lot of new hires every year. We really need to get our onboarding, our training, especially the onboarding, right? So people then start from this direction. Honestly, I'm saying it doesn't matter. You have to connect the dots anyway, <laughs> whether you come from training or from content. The experience is a bit different, but the work has to be done. And I've seen this working in the research role and, and also now in the consulting advisory space. Organizations struggle with the same patterns. They all come in different forms and shapes, but the patterns are the same. And it is usually a big learning journey also a company has to go through because it's much more complex. It takes more time. To really get it right. Yeah. And you don't want to face it in the beginning. You just want to get started somewhere. What sort of patterns are that? On a high level, it's this idea that we do everything for sales. Hey, listen, this is what we do for sales all the time. And then if you look into it, and it's always a functional perspective. So marketing says you this is what we do for sales. We have these 
lead gen campaigns, we do all the content, maybe we also do training, but not sales operations says, you know, this is what we do for them. There are all these templates, there's processes, methodologies, whatnot, the sales managers, they're adding stuff on top. They have specific incentives and program and forecasting and, and things like that. And all other teams as well, so in training, L&D or corporate academy teams, and this is what we do for sales. We do it all the time, or maybe product management has an own product training approach. And if you look at all of this and then get a step back and look at it from a salesperson's perspective, you say, this is all confusing. It's not connected. It doesn't make any sense. And actually, what I really need is not even included in this portfolio. So perspectives matter. It is just really true. Looking at it from a salesperson's perspective, then you see there are a lot of disconnected assets. They might be all great in itself, but they are not consistent. We have frictions in it, and they are most probably not aligned to the buyer's journey and sometimes also not to buyer roles, personas, and their challenges. And this is the challenge for enablement because you don't start with this experience right in the beginning. You can't go in and say, oh, this is, we need to do all of this right now. So also an organization has to learn just by saying, hey, it's okay to start with the biggest problem right now, but always have this vision in mind and align your next steps according to that vision. These are the main patterns I see. Yeah, yeah. From your perspective, it's a lack of strategic alignment across departments. Yeah, definitely. And also sometimes really a misunderstanding what sales actually needs and what buyers need. You always have to take a two-step approach. So of course, you want to provide the right things to the sales force at the right time, also here for different roles, different focus areas and do that. But it also has to make, of course, sense for the buyers. So actually, you work backwards from the buyer's journey. And what Lee and I do a lot, we work with the buyer's seller framework that really maps a buyer's journey to the company's sales journey. And if you take this as a framework, then you can derive all your specific enablement needs along this journey. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, if you only make it work for the salesforce, it might not work for the buyers. Of course, salespeople also need a lot of internal tools, guided selling scripts or tools and information and configurations and specific readiness tools. But of course, the content that's customer facing should really be very well aligned to buyer journey phases, buyer roles, their challenges, and what you can do for them. From your experience, do a lot of teams that you work with have a good idea of their buyer journey, or is it an aha moment that they really start out like really focusing on their own process and really force the buyer to fit into that? Yeah, it's always funny when I hear the challenge, we have to shorten the sales cycle. I mean, it's actually not what we do. The problem is elsewhere. So... Buyers only buy if they acknowledge they have a problem, it's important and urgent, and they make a decision to solve it now. Mm. Otherwise, they will, you will never have an opportunity. It would always remain a lead. So to get a buying team, usually in, in enterprise selling, it's a buyer's team, a decision-making unit, however you want to call it. So to orchestrate this group of people, they all have, again, different perspective, functional needs and, and goals. This is a challenge by itself. So sometimes we see companies that say, oh, we have all mapped it out. Then you see 10 layers down and for different use cases and all the things. And that's great to work from that, but that's a rare situation. So usually organizations say, oh, we've thought about this, but actually we didn't map it out so far. And then you have again 
these departmental views that say, oh, we've done it. And then you look at marketing and they have mapped out their marketing steps. Boom. And then there is a stop or you see, okay, we have done it from a sales perspective. And then it ends when the buying decision is made. In rare cases, you have a good perspective of the whole customer journey. Yeah, yeah. It's, again, an alignment issue that a lot of organizations are struggling with. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about the things that need to be true for buyers to make a purchase decision and the awareness of the problem, the urgency of the problem, the ability to quantify what the benefit is of investing into solving that problem and so on. One thing that I notice over and over again is that sales really fall back into that trap in, okay, they understand all of that, but then the first thing they mention to the buyer again is a product feature. <laughs> I think that's often a mindset shift that needs to happen of sales really being able to lead the buyer along this journey and understanding themselves as a solver of business problems rather than a somebody who attempts to extract value out of the buyer's organization, which is, I guess, why oftentimes there's a reluctance of senior executives dealing with sales because they see somebody who wants money for them, not somebody who wants to improve their business. And I think that's a big mind shift that a lot of organizations that I come across need to go through. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So this is still, I mean, how long are we discussing that feature and function selling is no longer working? I think at least 10 years. And it's still happening. This is a complex issue. I mean, for a tech company, of course, they teach their people on what they have to sell, which is capabilities to put this in a, in a bit of broader box. But what I always found the most challenging thing in an enablement role to guide the organization on translating these capabilities into business value that's tangible and measurable. And it's not an easy thing to do. So I even had a hard time to go through this at T-System because everyone said, one is, but that's clear. No, it's not clear, not for a buyer and not internally, but we do it anyway. And I mean, no, we did not. <laughs> we just looked at the content we've had. And then I also brought in an external company really specialized on this to help with that, to map this out and to bring really marketing, product management, sales, business development, enablement together. And then they said, after two days, oh, this is what you mean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> okay. And then, of course, then people really have to go through it themselves and experience it. Oh, this is basically what it means for our messaging and for our content. And I'm a big fan of a really integrated value messaging approach across the customer journey. It's not a marketing thing only. Really, it has to go through the whole customer journey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, if it's not unified, then you run into a situation where the customer experience is really disjointed. and Yes, you create frictions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they might be convinced by the marketing message and start interacting with the sales team, but they then suddenly go off into a completely different direction that they didn't expect. Yeah, and this is a friction for the buyer, exactly as you said. It's, it's absolutely true. And it's just important to understand that a, a marketing message is designed for a macro audience. You address a role, not an individual. And a sales message is, is focused on a really in a micro space, focused on the person behind that role. That is a difference. And then to really make this consistent and to align this. So we, we debated a lot in my sales enablement book about this value messaging chapter, even with the editor. And it's not about sales enablement owning everything now. It's always funny who owns this. 
It's about orchestrating all the necessary steps along the customer journey. And of course, marketing is involved, heavily involved, but also sales, also customer success and delivery teams to really make sure that there is an integrated value messaging approach. Not an easy thing to do, but it's so important. And that brings us back to, yeah, we discussed the features and functions. <laughs> it's a selling situation. And when such a messaging approach is created, and of course you have to go through all your content and stuff like this, but it's also important to not assume that you can just provide the right content. And even if that's all integrated and perfect, people have to learn how to use the right messaging. So all these training, readiness, onboarding services are really, really important because we have to practice it. There's this saying, practice makes perfect, but actually perfect practice makes perfect. And salespeople don't want to role play. They don't want to train. They just want to go out and do it. I'm saying, hey, listen, do you really want to practice on your most valuable lead right now? I mean, why don't we take an hour a week and really practice on learning this and dealing with the new messaging. It's not only to, to shout something out, it's also what am I going to do with the response I might get from the buyer. Yeah, so it, we need practice and this is also where sales coaching comes into play. The sales managers really need to coach along those lines so what the enablement initiatives are. So also this collaboration is really, really important. Yeah, yeah. As you said, you don't want to practice when you're in front of the CEO or the CTO if you're in tech sales. That's when it's a bit too late. I think moving away from the features and function sales approach might bring you in front of the leadership. But as you said, unless you really practice on how to deliver that message and how to really bring it into a context that is relevant to those folks, you might have a rather short sales funnel created for yourself because those people will drop off and not see the value in your solution. No, they can't. And I mean, from their perspective, oh, I don't need that. And even if they think, okay, it might be useful, but then they delegate you down to a role that sounds like you. And then you end up, okay, with people who would administer a system or who would buy a training service or something like this. And that's not where you want to end up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you mentioned content a couple of times in our conversation so far. So what sort of role from your perspective does content play in really positioning your sales team and being a strategic advisor to their buyers? Yeah, so there are a couple of content types that are really important. Of course, all the customer-facing content I use in front of the clients, but also internal readiness content. It really helps salespeople to learn, to practice, to understand how this all fits together and to really understand what is the translation of our capabilities into tangible business value. So for conversations, if somebody really wants to play not only in a solution consultants league, but in a strategic advisor league, it's really about what is relevant for a C-level role, what is really important for the owner of the company, for the CEO, for senior executives, and it is not what the tool does and what it is. It's really what it means to them. So it really has to be connected to their challenges, their goals, and the metrics they are measured on. And so success stories are, of course, great to really show them, you know, a company like yours, we have achieved X, Y, Z, and could show this business value in eight, nine, 12 months of time whatever that story is. But really to show it something that's tangible for them. It's a oh. We have actually a similar problem. Our go-to-market isn't fast enough or whatever the problem is, or we need to increase the win rate or we have to grow fast or we have to reduce attrition, whatever that is. But I have to 
be able to speak on terms of business KPIs and not of technical KPIs. And that is the big gap. So even if people who administer a system, they are looking for KPIs, they're asked to look at, which is fine, but I need to translate what does it actually mean for the business side? Why would I need to improve certain KPIs to get closer to my business goal? And this is the big gap where we very often don't see enough understanding in many sales teams to really connect the dots and have that conversation. And of course, I need to speak that language too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was used to talk to IT managers who maybe bought five, 10 years ago my solution, now I'm talking to a more CIO kind of role and they are now more enabler of the business. So they also have that perspective. And I have a few business representatives sitting around. For them, the technology is the means to an end to achieve their business goals. So I have to understand their language, their perspectives, their challenges, also the pressure they were having to get things done. Mm, absolutely. I guess that's where sales suddenly become a curator of information as well, right? And a refiner of information that brings things into context for their audience. I mean, if we think about sales being business leaders to their buyers, part of that leadership has to be continuous education about the buyer challenges and the way your solution or your product can contribute to create a better business for them. As soon as the buyer knows more than you about the problem that you're solving, I don't think you're doing your job right as a salesperson. Yeah, and you mentioned a, a critical point, the education and training about the buyer journey and their challenges in their business. I mean, that's usually what's missing in an onboarding program. To whom are we talking to with the education about a typical customer journey and our specific buyer roles? Usually you target three, four buyer roles, and even that is a lot. But really getting into this role, their challenges may be mapped out in different industries. It's really crucial to success. Absolutely. In terms of the ownership of sales enablement, I think I know your answer to that, especially <laughs> based on what we discussed so far, but I'll ask anyway, do you think sales enablement should be owned by a senior leader or is that something that can be driven from the bottom up? It depends a bit on what journey you're on. So what I see in many organizations, it's better they start with an initiative within a department to simply get started and make their first experiences. And then if they work with somebody who holds their hand and says, hey, it's great to get started here, but there's actually a bigger picture and there's a bigger vision. And let's focus on this right now while you're doing your technical steps over here. Only in very rare cases, I see organizations that say, hey, I'm a senior leader, I get the whole enablement thing, I want to set it up perfectly right from the beginning. How do I do this? This is not even 1%. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's more, hey, we have done this, we have started here, we have put technology in, we've done this, and now it's a year later, and I get questions, what is the value of what we've done here, what we've implemented? And then we come into discussions, okay, what have you done? Okay, there was a tactical approach. We put something into place and we didn't cover the whole customer journey and didn't make it actually easier for salespeople. We added another tool. And then this is an approach. I mean, if you can just avoid it right from the beginning. So it's fine to start in the training or in the content space, but always think through the whole customer journey. That's really what I would say. Make sure that this is the case at least. And even if you drive it from one department, change your mind into a way that you say, hey, I'm serving more than just what my functional responsibility would be. I'm actually serving more. 
I'm empowering different roles along the customer journey, even if I just focus on content. So it has to do a lot with the mindset shift that we think backwards from the customer journey and really say we have to serve our customer-facing professionals and our buyers, however small the, the piece is we, we are doing. And then organizations see naturally, okay, we actually need to set this up in a different way. And then you have the conversation, okay, who should own it as we go forward? And I mean, wherever you put it, whether you keep it in marketing or in sales, I mean, the ideal space of where I see organizations going is you have a chief customer role, a chief revenue officer role, however the name is. But what's important is that this is a role that looks at marketing, at sales and at customer success together, or it's looking at sales and customer success or at marketing and sales. Every step in the direction is good. And to put sales enablement as a direct report underneath of this role, that makes a ton of sense. That just gives a lot more freedom and you don't have all the debates in the beginning, why you're doing what you're doing and how you're doing it. And it really defines the scope right from the beginning, really to cover the customer's journey and to serve different roles along this and also connect the dots between content training and coaching and also to, to work on a tech stack to have ideally a platform that can help with all of this, it's integrated in the CRM. So these are all situations that help a lot. What we've seen in studies until a couple of years ago, a big trend in especially in enterprises to put enablement underneath of sales ops. So that can be a good home for enablement if sales ops is set up very strategically. Okay. But if that's a reporting forecasting team, it does make a lot of sense. Usually in bigger organizations, sales ops has a broader responsibility. But we've seen this declining as then the chief revenue and the chief customer officer roles came up and really covered the whole thing. So from your perspective, what sort of the maturity level of an organization before it makes sense to introduce sales enablement as a strategic initiative or as a strategic function, I should say? So first of all, from a company size, I mean, if you're a startup, one, two, three, four, five people, it's not necessary. You're basically aligned with yourself or with really a small team and, and, and what you do. But for every medium-sized company that has a growing sales force where you see we can't just manage everything in a laissez-faire style and, and everybody does its own thing. So when you have that understanding and see, okay, I'm going to grow and I have to hire a higher percentage of salespeople continuously, then think about to bring in the structures and the foundation right away. Because you can't scale if you don't have a process in line, if you don't really know what you're doing, you can't scale what you don't know. And enablement also has a role in establishing this foundation in terms of sometimes process methodology together with sales ops. And then, of course, with content and training and all these things have to be set up in a way that you have a proper foundation, you can scale it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's for scale up, so to speak. It's a way to really prepare themselves for growth. Yeah. So they don't have to fix things along the way. Exactly. For scale ups. Yeah. Yeah. And lose effectiveness in their sales force throughout the growth journey. Yeah. It's a big role for enablement. Yeah. Because you have to support the existing sales force plus a huge number of new hires in a fast moving environment. So that's a quite challenging role for enablement, a very dynamic experience, I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, any growth journey is challenging, I guess, especially if you have such a tangible department or where the performance of a department is as tangible as it is in sales, it increases the pressure even more so. 
Yeah, and it's a very interesting question you're just raising because of the pressure and, and the responsibility, especially in such a situation. Who's responsible for what is actually a really interesting question? There is also some confusion in the market. What is a sales leader responsible for and what is an enablement leader responsible for? An enablement leader is responsible for a ton of things, for providing the right content, the right messaging, the right training and in, in infrastructure and tools and whatnot in alignment with the requirements of the sales leadership team and the customer success team, for instance, to provide this for all their target audiences. But then to finally executing the sales strategy and making the numbers, this is a sales leadership responsibility. And this is what gets often mixed up. So enablement and operations are both supporting functions and sales management is an execution function. So this probably helps. So even if, and I'm a big fan of mapping out all the enablement efforts to tangible metrics that matter in sales, but a win rate has to be owned and led by a sales leader, but it's great for an enablement leader to say, hey, these initiatives we are doing, we can show that we help to improve the win rate along the sales pipeline. We can see it is so making that connection is very important, but responsibility for the win rate is in the sales leadership team, but it is a metric you want to work towards for enablement as well. Yeah, yeah. The enablement leader cannot fix everything that's maybe not done from a sales management perspective and the other way around. But having a shared goal as a revenue goal is great, but can I basically kill someone for not making this number coming from a supporting function? That's probably a hard case to be in, but working towards these shared goals is okay. So the nuances really matter here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So speaking of the challenges of sales enablement, I know that's a topic close to your heart as well, but what makes sales enablement really so hard for those people that are in the thick of it and are managing that function? Like, what are the challenges associated with that role? Also probably something to consider for people who are considering moving into sales enablement. The role is highly other-focused, which means the role is designed that you do things for others, that you help others, you're here for them, you're holding their hands, but you're also building the foundation to do that. So it is important that enablement leaders learn to say no, because otherwise they're working 24-7 and achieve nothing. I've seen these times and times again. I, I had a conversation with a really, really brilliant enablement leader. He did this role for a couple of years, and he has now found another growth journey for himself. And he said, this role is not thankful. And that is true. That is really true. So if somebody says, hey, I'm just wired this way, I need instant recognition and I need reward always coming my way, then I would probably say then maybe take a quota, sell something great, you get instantly rewarded, and then probably an enabled role is not the right one. So I've recently published a LinkedIn article on that topic. So it is important to say no and to be able to do that, the enablement charter or business plan, however you call it, is so important where you really define, this is what we are focusing for this fiscal year. This is what we agreed with the senior executives to do to support our sales strategy and to implement that. These are the things we're going to do, which means we're probably not creating a ton of different customized presentations for a certain industry team or if we don't do I don't know whatever the requirements are, because in that role, every single week, somebody else stands in your office or is on your Zoom to say, hey, I need this and I need that. And we are so special. And don't you understand? We're just very different here. 
So it, this is the hard thing to do. And as you basically want to help in that role, it is a hard balance to find. So being really centered, to be really grounded is important and also the capability to say no. And from an energetic perspective, also to close portals and to not allow that all kinds of energies are coming in your field. So you have to learn to set boundaries. That's a challenge in that world. And of course, you have to orchestrate a couple of stakeholders and managing their expectations. This usually takes a remarkable amount of time in the role that's sometimes underestimated from people who actually want to do this and want to help sales. In my own role, this was at the end about 50% of my time was orchestrating expectations, managing stakeholders, getting everything aligned so that the team could work on the initiatives. It's probably not what people expect from the role, but it comes with that. Yeah, yeah. I think it comes down to the definition of enablement also for yourself as a professional. Does enablement mean that you actually do something that then is being used by ourselves? Or does enablement mean that you facilitate and that you coach cells to get to a point where they want to be, you know, and I think there's a big difference there, <laughs> which I also had to find out the hard way. Yeah, I think everybody who was in that role had this experience and had to learn this, that a role is really about enabling somebody to do things in a better way, rather than sitting next to them <laughs> and going every step of the way. And this is I'm saying engaging, enabling, and empowering is really a sequence that makes sense to focus on just in your mind. First of all, you need access to the sales force. You have to engage them that they even listen to you. So you need the support of the sales leadership team that, hey, we are working together with sales enablement. We do things together so you listen to these guys as well. This is important. And then you equip and enable them with whatever the initiatives you agreed on are and what you're working towards and bring to them and provide in the right way. But then it's also empowerment of themselves. And then basically they have to be on the calls, in the meetings and do their work. And you can't and should not be too much involved there. Of course, listening back to calls and conversations is very important, but not doing for them. That makes sense. And speaking of the guidance for sales enablement professionals. There's a whole lot of frameworks out there that help sales enablement leaders to be more strategic about their roles. What's your take on frameworks and what frameworks have you seen work and work not so well within organizations? First of all, it's important that you use a framework for an enablement leader. I mean, a framework has a purpose and the purpose is to show a complex world in an aggregated way. So a good framework captures all the dimensions that are relevant for you that you can really fulfill your role and be good at that. A framework that's not so good, it's probably something you like a lot because it looks so simple, but they're probably, they cut off a few dimensions and actually matter. So this is the first difference. I have seen time and time again, enablement frameworks that didn't even include the customer, not to mention the customer journey. Okay. I mean, this doesn't make any sense, period. So then okay. <laughs> you need another one. So there are a couple of good frameworks out there in a way that they contain the relevant dimensions. Then it's a question of preferences. So I've always had a joke with my friend, Mike Kunkel, on this. So I had the diamonds with Byron Matthews in our book, so the, the facets of the diamonds framework. He has the building blocks. These are both excellent frameworks. They capture all the dimensions you need. It's then a personal preference 
of what you like to work with, and, and that's totally fine. So what Lee Bartle and I were building is this buyer-seller framework. So this is a more foundational framework that really goes in the details of the buyer journey in a complex environment. And then we're mapping the selling journey together to that. And then we can connect the enablement dimension, the enablement aspects to this so that we can align this along this journey. So the approaches are always different. These are just examples, but always make sure what you use, you use a framework that contains the customer journey, the buyer journey, the customer dimension in whatever way makes sense to you. But this is a must. Got it. Before we wrap up, I also want to spend some time talking about technology because that's a topic that comes up over and over again in conversations. There's different schools of thoughts I come across. One being you introduce technology to spark a sales enablement initiative. So you suddenly have a certain capability and then you go from there. Or you develop a capability first in a manual way, in a non-automated way, in a non-scalable way. Realize that it works and then basically put fuel on it by introducing technology to then scale. What's your take on that and what do you have seen working? I've seen working both and I've seen failing both. Okay. <laughs> As you know me from my system thinking perspective, I would always appreciate to live from, from how I'm thinking, how I'm wired. Let's build our frameworks first. Let's lay it out. Let's organize and structure the content. Let's do the homework. Let's throw everything away. We don't need any longer. Let's really think through what the dimensions are we're looking for and how we want to provide the content to our different target audience, maybe salespeople, customer success, or also channel and so on. And then let's implement the technology so that the technology actually amplify all the good things we have done. And then technology has a jump start and will be successful from the beginning. You have to do the change management. Of course, you have to do it all the time. But then you don't have, in an ideal case, the renewal question here later, what did this piece of technology actually do for us? Now, the other way around is bring technology in, we put everything on it, what we have, and technology will do its magic. This is more risky. I've seen it working as well, simply because technology brings everything to the surface, all the problems as well. So I've seen it myself. So, I mean, you, you just can't say, okay, it is somewhere else. You just didn't find it in some of the other 30 <laughs> places because, no, we just said this is the one single place of truth. So this is the great thing because it brings everything to the light and to the surface. But then you have to do the homework. And this is where it's risky because if you then don't have the power because you were just really set up as a technical initiative to run a system, then it's getting actually risky because if you don't get the resource and you are not heard that you have to do the work, then you have to discussion a year later on. So what did this piece of technology do for our business? It's a risky approach, but it can work as well if you set up the right way. This was something I went through. I luckily had a senior exec at this time. You had seen this. Okay, we have to do the work. Now we do it. So both ways work. But I think the thing in the mind is still the idea there is a silver bullet. I just bring that in and it will solve all the problems in a magical way and we are done. And that's not working either way. I don't think that has ever worked in any area of business. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, questions we also get a lot and I'm asked a lot is, we just need this piece of tech, we just need this piece to do the onboarding, or we just need this piece of tech to manage the sales content. 
And then if you ask a few more questions and you see they have already a highly disrupted technology landscape in sales and I think it's really integrated in the CRM and they are still currently implementing the CRM and things like that. So take the time and look at your tech stack architecture and enablement on a high level covers content training and coaching. So if you can bring in a platform that helps with all of this, do it and integrate it in the CRM rather than looking at three or four more point solutions. This is again, do we have the vision in the beginning that enablement is more than just doing the onboarding or fixing the content problem? Then you automatically look for a more holistic solution. And if you have this narrowed departmental view, which is need this tiny bit, then you probably run the risk to just bring in another point solution. Yeah, yeah. I think as a sales enablement leader, it's also a question of how you position yourself. If you're a fixer of problems or if you're a strategic advisor to senior management, if you bring in the point solution, you automatically relegate yourself to being just a fixer of issues. If you bring in the solution that can grow with your business and with your capabilities, then suddenly it becomes more strategic. Yeah, it's exactly as you said. I mean, what is the solution for the future that we have a scalable foundation? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Tamara, we're running out of time. It's been an absolute pleasure. It was great to spend the hour talking about sales enablement. For anybody who wants to learn more about sales enablement through your content, where can they find you? The easiest way is to simply connect me via LinkedIn and we take it from there. Awesome. Tamara, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure. Thanks, Felix. You've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at krugermarketing.com learn. That's K-R-U-E-G-E-R marketing.com learn.